In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, around nine months ago, God called Astrid and Saga into existence, and he knit them together in their mother's womb. And they were fearfully and wonderfully made by the God who knew them and who loves them and gave himself up for them. And then about two weeks ago, on Friday, July 16th, they were born according to the flesh, and they took their first breath. And today, about 20 minutes ago, you saw them both buried with Jesus through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, they too might live a new life, as Romans 6 says. So, Astrid and Saga, you have your family and your godparents and this entire congregation. And this sermon itself reminds you of this throughout your whole life. So, Astrid and Saga, remember this well and trust in the word of God more than you trust in anyone or anything else. Holy Scripture says, God uh, who caused the Holy Scriptures to be written. The Scriptures say, baptism now saves you as 1 Peter 3.21 says. And also, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, as Mark 16.16 says. And repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as Acts chapter 2 says. And so... Depend upon these words and promises of God every single day of your life, even when dying, because it is the greatest comfort and it is worth more than all the treasure and silver and gold that the world can offer. Now, I'm going to come back to preach a little bit more on baptism at the end of the sermon. But for right now, we have the words of Jesus before us in the gospel lesson. And today, the text is about money. And so now I have to find a way to preach on these two things. <laughs> Baptism and money. Uh, things that seem like polar opposites. So it was very good timing, Astrid and Saga, for your birth. So thank you. <laughs> uh, first, uh, we consider the text. The parable of the dishonest manager. Look, I'm, I'm going to summarize the text for you and then explain it to, to explain what's going on here. Jesus tells a parable to his disciples about a rich man. So there's a rich man. Uh, He had an employee who he made manager over other, uh, the the customers over uh, his business. And the word got out that the manager, the guy beneath him, uh, the rich man's employee, was wasting the master's possessions. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly what he was doing or how he was doing this, but he was being careless with the things that didn't belong to him. And when the rich man found this out, uh, that, that's when the master found this out. He called the manager, the employee to himself, and then he said, turn in the account of your management because you can no longer be manager. In other words, I'm going to fire you. And that employee, the manager, the guy who was about to get fired, he thought to himself, look, what am I going to do? Um, I, I'm going to be out of a job. I'm not strong enough to dig. Uh, I'm too ashamed to beg. I can't, I can't provide for myself. In other words, if I lose this job, then I'm not going to be able to get another job and I'm going to be employed. And if I'm unemployed, then I'll be homeless and without income and without anything. And my life is going to be be a disaster. So this is pretty typical so far of these sort of situations. Uh, 
Uh, these kind of thoughts go through everyone's mind when they face unemployment or the threat of it. Well, here is where it gets dangerous. <clears throat> Sorry, not dangerous, interesting. <laughs> uh, the man says to himself, uh, and he comes up with this idea, he says, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from the management, people may receive me into their houses. In other words, he comes up with a plan for how to get the things he needs, even though he's about to get fired. And the parable doesn't say the plan, it just simply shows the plan in action. And so this is what he does. He goes to all of the customers of the business one by one, and he asks one of them, he says, how much do you owe my master, the, 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 the guy, the rich man? And the guy says, well, I owe him 100 measures of oil. That's what I borrowed. And another one says, well, I owe 100 measures of wheat and so on and so forth. And so the manager goes to each one and then he tells them, take your bill and sit down and quickly and write 50 instead of 100. And to another, he says, now take your bill and then write 80 instead of the 100. And so when you calculate it in today's currency, what he's saving these customers is about 18 months of wages, about a year and a half worth of a break, of a financial break. That's massive. Uh, you can imagine the customers' faces lighting up when they hear this, right? Uh, imagine, just imagine for yourself, if your lender um, cut off 18 months of mortgage payments, said for the next 18 months, you don't have to pay a penny. That's huge. Uh, or, or your car payment or loan payment or anything. That's a huge savings. And that's what this employee is doing. The manager is telling this to all of the customers. <clears throat> and now do you see the problem? The man doesn't have the authority to do it. It's not his money. He didn't lend those things out. It is his master's money. Okay. The man lied. And the master never gave or authorized this sort of discount, but the manager went ahead and told everyone he did, and this is wrong, this is sinful, it breaks the seventh and the eighth commandment and the fourth commandment and many commandments, uh, but it, it breaks stealing and lying and breaking uh, his authority, uh, uh, breaching the authority that the uh, master gave him. And so this manager is doing a terrible, terrible thing. There's no mistake about it. He's lying and he's cheating people out of this. However... The point of this parable is not the man's sinfulness, but the man's cleverness, his ingenuity, his wit, his shrewdness. So I want to show you how clever this man is. Okay, he's clever in two ways. The first is this. The man is converting money into friendships. He knows he's about to lose his job, his money, and his home, but he finds a way to use a discount to turn this into a friendship. In other words, if I do something so generous like this for you today, guess what? Tomorrow when I'm homeless, you're going to have to scratch my back. You're going to have to uh, pay me back, pay it forward in that way. Uh, now, the second reason is this. He put the master between a rock and a hard place. Remember what he told the people. He said, take your bill and you sit down and you write 50 or 80 or something. He doesn't write it with his own hands. He tells them to write it in their own handwriting. Why? This is so that when the accounts are finally turned into the master, the master will see that the people already know about the discount. They already know about this. And this means that the families are already celebrating 
that discount. They're celebrating that break. And so now the master has to choose between one of two things. He needs to either honor that discount from his manager that he gave them, or the master himself has to go door to door to each family and tell them, you still owe me money. Now, just imagine that this happened to you. Imagine that your lender tells you that he's cutting 18 months out of mortgage payments from your home for the next 18 months. You don't have to pay a thing and you're uh, rejoicing. You're happy. What are you going to do? You're going to celebrate. You're going to spend that money on something else, uh, a vacation, a car, home improvements, uh, college fund, whatever it might be. Then imagine that he comes up to you a few weeks later and then says, uh, by the way, uh, you are never supposed to get that break. Um, those, those payments are still due and I'm expecting it all next month like normal. Now, I'd imagine you'd be pretty furious if that happened to you. Um, I also imagine that you wouldn't want to be the guy who has to tell each family that this is, break this news to every single family. And so that is the position that the manager put his master in. Uh, if the master honors the discount, the people will love him and he'll keep a good reputation as a generous man. But if he goes door to door and drops the bad news, the people are going to get angry with him and his reputation is going to be ruined and the whole business is going to crash. Now, his only two options are honor it or ruin his own reputation. If he honors the discount, then the manager will have made friends and have a place to stay when he gets fired. Uh, and if the, ma if the master demands the money, not only will the manager be unemployed, but he's taking the master down with him. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> and then when the master realizes this, Jesus says these words. He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. In other words, he looked at his former employee. He finally gets the accounts and he sees, ah, that's not your handwriting. Ah, I didn't approve that discount. Okay. Then he, then he puts it together and then he, he looks at him and he says, okay, well played. You knew me. You knew you could get away with this. You are a crook and a scoundrel, but I have to hand it to you. You are really, really smart. <laughs> You're very shrewd. You're very clever. What this man did was evil. And at the same time, it was very clever. And the master commends the man, not the man's dishonesty, but the man's brilliance. The man did something very bad, but in a genius and brilliant way. Now that is what the parable is about. The man's shrewdness. And this is what Jesus commends. He doesn't teach us to be dishonest, but he teaches us to be smart and clever. And then he says this. He says that parable, and then he says these words. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And what that means is this, is that unbelievers generally are better at using money for their own advantage than Christians are at using their money for the advantage of others. The dishonest manager used money to make temporary friends. 
So you, dear Christians and sons of light, should use money to make eternal friends. Anyone can use money to make temporal friends. You can persuade anyone this way, but only Christians know how to make eternal friends. And the way you have an eternal friend is through the gospel. It is through Christ. You make eternal friends, uh, Christian friends, by financially supporting the preaching of the word. To say that the word of God would be preached in this place and at this time. And so that the person next to me would be made a Christian through that word. Uh, In other words, you use unrighteous mammon and wealth, that is money, to provide something for your neighbor that no amount of money can buy them. That is the forgiveness of sins. You use your money in a way that promotes not only your neighbor's earthly life, but his eternal life. And so you're exchanging these goods for an eternal friendship. Um, Just a a point here. There's a man by the name of Jim Elliott. I think he was an American missionary who's famous for this quote. Uh, He put it this way. He said, it is not foolish to lose what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. Uh, It's not foolish to lose what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. In other words, all the money you have will fail, all of it. Every last penny, you're going to lose all of it. And on the last day of your life, you'll be in the same condition as your first, naked and and, uh, with nothing. And it will just be you. No amount of money or possessions or reputation is going to help. And this is going to happen to everybody regardless of wealth or status. And Christians know this. And this is why Christians aren't afraid to give up an offer and donate and be generous and give away the money that they have. Because we know at one point we're going to lose it all. So why hold on to it so tightly now? And we choose not to give it away to big corporations or organizations or teams or the government. But to the thing that matters most, which is the preaching of the word. We give it so that God's word would be preached in this place and at this time. And we give up part of our wealth, all of our wealth, everything we have belongs to God. He gave us a house and home and clothing and shoes and food and drink and eyes, ears, reason, and all my He gave us everything. All of it belongs to him. But we give a part of it back so that we would continue to hear and receive the forgiveness of sins, the mercy that the Lord gives. Not that our money earns it for us, but that the money uh, keeps a church around. It keeps the preaching of the word here. Um, And we give it away for the sake of our neighbor. Uh, I'll put it this way. Here's an an anecdote. Around 130 years ago, uh, there were a number of Christians, uh, confessional Lutherans, who fled religious persecution in Europe. And they moved here, right over there to uh, Gotha, Florida. Uh, That is the history of this church, of this congregation. And they were in a new land. And they wanted to hear the gospel preached. And they wanted their children baptized. They said, our pastor is over there. He's in jail. And now we're all gathered here. And we don't have a a shepherd to lead us. And we need the the preaching of God's word. We need to be buried with a Christian burial. So on and so forth. And so what they did is they brought their money together. And they built a church. And uh, it it was a humble little church. But they built it. And they called it Zion. Which means the place where God dwells with his people. So that even if they were in this new land, that God was here with them. Um, And then throughout the years, they used their money to buy a pulpit and then an altar and hymnals and a baptismal font. Um, 
And they did this all for the, for the one reason that one day someone else would benefit from it too. Uh, so they tried to build something permanent. And they gave their own money so that others would be made children of God, sons of light. And one day that they would receive those people into eternal dwellings. So think of it. In the resurrection, all of those who trusted in the salvation of Christ will be gathered together. That means all of us here today, all of, us who have died, all of those who have died before us, all of those, those who are going to die after us are going to be gathered into one place and at one time and will recognize our loved ones who have died in the Lord. And then there's going to be a lot of people that we don't recognize, right? Uh, and some of them, some of those that we never met and don't recognize may even be from the same uh, nation or state or city or church that we went to. Uh, Maybe they were sitting in the same exact pew that you sat in. Um, And imagine that. So there are dear brothers Everett and Isri and Chuck who all died in the Lord this year. They will be in the resurrection too. And Astrid and Saga will be there, our youngest members. They're going to be there too. And they'll all meet one another. And Everett or Chuck or Isri will say something like uh, to Astrid and Saga, look, I don't recognize you. Who are you? And they'll say, I'm Astrid. I'm, I'm Saga. And we were baptized a long time ago in this little church uh, in Winter Garden, Florida. <laughs> and then uh, they'll say, ah, yes, that was my church too. That's where I was baptized. And that's where I was buried. And you know, many years ago, I gave money for that font. I gave money to keep the lights on. I gave money to build and construct a church so that others would hear the gospel and know how much God loves them. And not a penny of that time or money or effort went to waste. So God be praised. Um, And just as God did this uh, for Astrid and Saga, he will do this for all of you. I'm sure that we'll have countless conversations like this of how people were shrewd and clever and used it to make friends unto eternal life. Now, uh, back to baptism. Astrid and Saga, what does money have to do with baptism? (laughs) Well, people gave up their money and their unrighteous mammon and wealth freely because they loved Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. And there are people who gave away their hard-earned dollars so that you would have a church to come to And that you would have a font to be baptized in and a pastor to preach the word to you and to be gathered together with the saints of God. Now, the people who've given this may not have known you, but they knew you in Christ. And even if they didn't know you, they knew God knew you and that he planned for your salvation. And so they found a way to use their money to make you their eternal friend. Even more, your dear parents have given up quite a lot to get you here this morning. They work hard, they pay their bills, they've used their money, they they could use this on anything else, but they have chosen to use this in this way, to feed you, to give you rest, to give you, uh, use their money to clothe you, to buy car seats, to strap you in, to put gas in the car, and to drive you here this morning, and they have traded away unrighteous wealth to make you children of God, so that they would have you forever. They gave up their hard-earned money to get you here today so that you would get what no amount of money can buy. 
the peace of sin forgiven, the salvation that Christ has won for you, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood. God has used unrighteous wealth to give you, Astrid and Saga, a righteousness that is not your own, but that is of Christ, that is perfect and holy, that he attributes to you, to give you the wealth of heaven. And God be praised for this, for this great and glorious work that he has accomplished for you this day. Hear the words of this hymn. God's grace remains forever, and children's children yet shall prove that God forsakes them never, who in true fear shall seek his love. In heaven is fixed his dwelling, his rule is over all. O hosts with might excelling, with praise before him fall. Praise him forever reigning, all you who hear his word, our life and all sustaining my soul. O praise the Lord. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.